Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. If you would like to support the Box of Oddities, we would be eternally grateful. Become a premium subscriber. Go to theboxofoddities.com and get signed up. You will get ad-free episodes. You'll get them a day early. You'll get a bonus episode every month. And you'll get access to the Box of Oddities back channel. Direct contact to us. And we appreciate it so much. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries, of curiosities, of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Willie has developed a habit recently of uh, barking at well, usually me when I go down the stairs, and I'm not really sure why. It's it's mostly when I'm going down the stairs, he starts barking. Yes. And frantically. Yeah. I, I'm not sure if it's because, don't leave, I don't want you to leave, or who the hell are you? Get out of my house. Yeah, it's hard to tell. He also barks at anyone who comes into the house. Um, and if you stay for any extended period of time, he'll likely bark at you the whole time you're here. This is a recent development. Yeah. This is something that has started, oh, in the last few months as he's, he's getting a little older. He's becoming a cranky old man. Sure. But I came home from work, uh, two days ago and Kat had written a note to Willie and posted it. It, it, He, she wrote, stop barking all the time. And uh, posted it on the TV. Yeah. um, But then I noticed that you moved it lower uh, so that it was more at his eye level, which I appreciate. I moved it down to about six inches off the ground because he's a pog. He's got stubby little feet. It's true. Although he does spend an inordinate amount of time uh, on the couch watching the TV and barking at anything that runs. Right. He's very concerned about especially any sort of animal that's on TV. He will alert us to a moose. Uh, in a in a movie, mm-hmm. he uh, oh man, when we watched the return of Natty Gan the other day, he let us know about that wolf. Whoa, he was on it. So I guess what what I, what we're trying to say is that uh, we watched the journey of Natty Gan. It's the return of Natty Gan. Is it? What are you checking now? Yeah, I'm checking it. Okay. Hey Siri, Google. The Return of Natty Gan. Check it out. <laughs> yeah, check it out. It says The Journey of Natty Gan. Well, that's n- not the name of it, so that's weird. <laughs> Are you calling Siri a liar? I'm just saying that sometimes she gets confused. Do you remember when I was talking about it the other day and I kept calling it The Adventure of Natty right, Gan? Right, yeah. I think there may have been a name change at some point. <laughs> Maybe it's uh, it's it's a Mandela effect thing. Maybe. You think? Maybe. Yeah, could be. Who knows? 
One thing I do know is that I go first. Are you ready? I am ready. All right, then. So back in the mid-60s, there were a couple of twins born in Canada. Their names were Bruce and Brian Reimer. According to Ranker, at eight months old, they were taken for routine a routine, a routine circumcision. Uh, the mm. reason was that um, they had a condition called phimosis. It's... Like the parents noticed it about six months old. It's um, it's a defect in the foreskin of the penis. Now, the main effect is it, it it causes difficulty in urinating. Okay. So the decision was to get the boys circumcised uh, based on the discovery of this condition. Got it. So they took both of the twins in. So Bruce went first. They never got to Brian because uh, there was an accident. Oh and no! The doctor. Pretty much destroyed his um, his penis what? with a, with a cauterizing instrument. Oh no! Yeah, eight months old. The doctor had opted for. Uh, let me see if I get this. If I can pronounce this correctly, electrocautery needle, which was considered a, a bad choice for that particular procedure, rather than the traditional blade. Um, it was it was pretty horrifying. The doctor he burned off the majority of of Bruce's penis. With that, what thing. the hell? I know this is terrible. It is. It's awful. I mean, I don't want to get into circumcision, period, because you know we, I, it's you know, it's not up to me. Mm-hmm. But um, I understand that this was for a medical reason. Sure. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that it affected both of them, but this is frigging terrible. Yeah. It 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 really was. At the time, doctors believed that. When male genitalia became damaged as badly as this, it could not be repaired. Um, so the parents were told that phallic reconstruction was a crude option and that uh, it would never result in fully functioning in a fully functioning penis. Jesus. Again, this was like 1965, 66. The Rhymers were understandably devastated by this accident. They were um, they were concerned that their son would grow up without a functioning sexual organ. So one day they were watching TV and they were watching this talk show and it featured a guy named Dr. John Money. At the time, Dr. Money was working with patients born with ambiguous genitalia at John Hopkins University. Okay. So they called Dr. Money up and he met with Bruce and Brian. And and by now it's 1966. Dr. Money was uh, at the time the world's leading psychologist and an expert in gender identity. Um, his belief was that children were children who, who were under the age of two were gender neutral. Mm-hmm. Dr. Money recommended sex reassignment a surgery. So just because he didn't have a, what would be end up being a functioning peen, right. he decided now we should just make your baby a girl? Yes. He lobbied for sex reassignment. Um, as it was called at the time, for Bruce, from male to female. He insisted that it would be psychologically beneficial for Bruce to live as a girl. He was also eager to prove his theory that uh, gender was dependent on how the child was raised rather than what gender the child was born with. He was convinced that nurture would conquer nature. Okay. And so he wanted to prove it. So he, when he suggested uh, to them that uh, they create a vagina, and that would be the way to go, 
His parents agreed. Because their only goal was to give their kid a normal life with the possibility of a functionally a functional sex life as an adult. And again, this was the mid-60s. This guy was the leading guy. Right. He was at John Hopkins. He was respected. So they said, yeah, okay. Oof. And so that's when Bruce underwent the procedure of becoming Brenda. Eight months. Again, according to Ranker, Dr. Money believed he had the perfect setup for this experiment because these were twins. He was wanting, he had wanted to prove his uh, nature versus nurture theory. And he thought, well, there's no better way to do that with than with twins. He had two boys, genetically identical, raised in the same home by the same people. So he did manage to convince the Reimer twins' parents to submit to participating in this study. And Bruce turns out to have been trans in the first place, so it worked out really well and everyone was happy? Question mark? End of story? He was going to use Brian as the neutral control you know, which you would track Brenda's, quote, Brenda's development. Mm-hmm. Things are weird enough. But then they got really weird at the Good Doctors Clinic. Um, both Brian and Bruce slash Brenda participated in Dr. Money's study. They would go back for yearly visits so he could add to his case notes. Sure. As the children grew older, these uh, visits became more traumatic for the twins. With Dr. Money having them pose in different sexual positions together. What the fuck? Well, he believed that, quote, sexual rehearsal helped to solidify sexual identity. And the visits were so psychologically painful for of these course, kids. Of course, that's terrible. They begged their parents to stop taking them to Dr. Money. Uh, Brenda even threatened to uh, take her own life if she was forced to go back. So they said, no, we're not. That's it. We're not we're not taking you back. You could have, like, warned me that this was going to be like this. This is rough. It's going to get rougher. No. OK. Brenda was never told about this oh, until she got to be about 14 years old. She never felt like she was a girl. Mm-hmm. She tried to rip off the first dress that her mother sewed for her. She saw her father shaving. She wanted a razor, too. She wanted to play with little soldiers and toy guns and trucks. Didn't want to have anything to do with, like, say, dolls, Barbies. The toys they gave to girls. The pink ones, you know. Yeah. When she would fight with her brother, she was clearly the stronger of the two. Even Brian said that he noticed a disconnect involving Brenda's gender identity early on, saying, I recognized Brenda as my sister. But she never, ever acted the part. Growing up, Brenda had a very tough time, as you can well imagine, fitting into uh, his, her assigned gender role. They had so much more of an interest in masculine things, you know, masculine gait, just generally acted more like a boy than a girl. Unfortunately, children... You know, not real understanding. Are terrible. Yeah. Brenda was ostracized from their peers and as a result complained to his parents often that he didn't he he wasn't a girl that he felt like a boy but because they had sworn to raise Brenda as a girl they struggled to keep their silence and not tell him the truth until Brenda was 14 that's got to be so hard cuz you know that they they didn't go into this no. thinking hey we're going to fuck with our kid no and 
they just wanted what they thought could be. There's so much confusion about, and there still is well, about yeah. gender versus sex. And oh, this is terrible. This is terrible and so sad. So when Brenda turned 14, Brenda's father informed Brenda the truth about the accident mm-hmm. when they were twins as babies. Instead of feeling anger, there was a sense of relief. Of course. He recalled, for the first time, everything made sense, and I understand who and what I was. So the next step for him was to surgically revert back to a boy. Mm-hmm. He chose the name David. Now, the procedure... It involved a number of surgical procedures, obviously, hormone treatments. Mm -hmm. Um, Those included, it also included a double mastectomy because of the hormones that that he he had been given. Yeah. He had developed breasts, grafts, and implants to recreate his male genitalia, as well as testosterone injections. David went through a very dark time during this period of his life to his male reassignment surgeries, Mm. thinking he would never be able to get married. And his dark thoughts led to some pretty tough times for him. He attempted um, to end his life twice in his early 20s. However, when he was 25, he married a woman named Jane and became a stepfather to their three kids. And for a while, things seemed to be going really, really well. But David couldn't quite escape all the dark feelings that plagued him all these years, the, the, the physical scars, the mental scars. What the fuck? You know? <laughs> that is the correct answer, yes. So you remember at the beginning of this story, I told you that the twins had been diagnosed with a condition called phimosis or phimosis. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the, the reason that they went in for the first right. thing. And Bruce's surgery surgery was first, and they screwed it up so they didn't do the second one. Well, his parents, of course, had incredibly deep levels of guilt for what happened to Bruce. Sure. But it became even more compounded by the fact that Brian's condition eventually cleared up on its own. No. This surgery was not even necessary, as it turned out. So whatever happened to Dr. Money, the guy that did all this shit to him, um, he actively lied to the world about the success of his study. Now, he knew that things had gone horribly wrong. Yeah. And he still published his findings or published findings saying that, quote, Brenda was a happy and healthy young girl. And his work was featured in Time Magazine. It's terrible. In many textbooks. But in reality, he was aware that Brenda had found out about the accident and the switch and had gone back to living as a boy named David. Yet, that didn't stop Dr. Money from continuing to lie about the results of his study. Because he was worried about money. I wish this ended happily. No! In 2004, David's depression uh, really came to a head, and he took his own life. He was um, 38 years old. He drove to a grocery store parking lot with a sawed-off shotgun. His mother believes that if it had not been for the experiment, David might still be alive today. At that time, among other problems, he was also dealing with the death of his twin brother two years earlier, who died from an overdose of antidepressants. Jesus. Brian had been diagnosed with schizophrenia in the wake of the revelations about David's true gender identity. However, if there is anything, I, I, I fought with how to end this on a 
less than devastating note. There's nothing not devastating about this. Well, this is the best I could do. The truth eventually was revealed to the world. Mm. David, before he took his life, had worked with a psychologist and a trained biologist named Dr. Milton Diamond, who eventually published a report on the twins that completely destroyed all the perceived legitimacy of Dr. Money's study. Okay. So there's that. There is that. Which is not much, but it's something. It's a, it's That's... such a complicated, complex story, considering the time that it happened, um, the way people felt about that sort of thing back then. It was not something that that people talked about. Right. It was a it was a quote dirty little secret. Yeah. Which is horrifying, and I just my heart goes out to these kids, they didn't have a chance. And it's all because a doctor made, he chose the wrong tool for a very common surgical procedure. Well, and also because uh, the follow-up to that was a trash fire. This doctor who was apparently much more concerned with notoriety and proving himself right, rather than the well-being of children, that's yep. my heart hurts. Mm. You may have noticed that during that story, I I referred to Bruce slash Brenda slash David as he, she, and they mm-hmm. because he didn't know at yeah. the time what his gender identity was. He he. I mean, he knew, he but knew. but physically. It wasn't being backed up. Right. And in that time period, there wasn't a lot of room for, yeah, I don't think this is right. Right. No. Yeah. And it's so often that that thought process of, no, this is how you were born. This is what you are is is still prevalent. I mean, people mm-hmm. still think that. Yeah. And if you are being told, no, you were born a girl, this is who you are. The struggle that comes with that and yeah. then the follow-up, like, oh, wait, nope, you're right. You're, you know mm-hmm. that you're a boy because mm-hmm. you're a boy. Yeah. That's, it hurts my heart. I know. I know. And I have multiple trans friends who will tell you, they know. Yeah. <laughs> you don't get to tell them. <laughs> you oh, know, I, there's I, no. I, I know. I've watched the process of one of your friends who has been tar- been trying to take control of her life and it's the bravest thing I've ever seen. I mean it's it's the bravest thing I've ever seen. It's t- yeah. Anyway, enough of that. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm going to push this button. And now. Today's thing, thing in the, in the middle. middle once again brought to you by our freaks group on Facebook. And by the way, if you're not a member, then please join. Just go over to Freaks a Box of Oddities group and uh, submit your request. It's way fun. Uh, Robert Frazier posted, I saw this question on Twitter and I thought that it was very freak friendly. What's a story about you that sounds like a lie but is actually true? Number five, my grandma grew up next door to John Dillinger. His mom and her mom stood outside the fence and talked. I can picture that in my mind. Uh, My great-grandma spoke only Polish, and I believe she said his mom spoke German. But somehow they understood each other. She said he was such a good guy, took care of his mother. 
And she said he was much better looking than Johnny Depp. (laughs) (laughs) We had words over that, she said. That's from Angela. Number four. Pete writes, my sister is my biological mother and my husband's stepfather used to employ my biological father, whom I've never met. I, my head just exploded. What now? Number three, Robert said, mine is my grandfather had the chance to be knighted by the queen, but declined as it didn't work with his schedule. (laughs) He goes on to say some clarifying details. My grandfather was knighted in the late 90s for 50 plus years volunteering with St. John Ambulance. Number two, Jen writes, I got struck by lightning with my friends the day after I was lit on fire. (laughs) NBD, you know. And number one, Leon writes, I wouldn't be here if my great-grandfather hadn't clung to a rock in the North Sea for two days. He was the sole survivor of two sunken naval ships, the HMS Opal and the HMS Narborough. And uh, he even pulled the body of a dead crewmate onto the rock so it wouldn't float away. Leon, your great-grandfather, a fucking hero. So cool. By the way, somebody on uh, the reviews section of one of our platforms mentioned that our language sometimes is a little intense. And I've noticed that it varies uh, a lot from episode to episode. And this is a very fucky episode. Yeah, just so we should have warned you up front, (laughs) although we didn't know. We didn't know. It just happens. Sometimes we feel things and that's the best way to um, to express it. (laughs) The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. The Box of Oddities. It's not for everyone. I love the stories that the freaks tell us. We got this message from Carrie. She said, I went to Omaha for a show for my birthday, which happened to fall on Easter weekend. It was a good show. Libations were had. I got back to the hotel safely. My hotel room overlooked the indoor pool. The breakfast area was right next to the pool. I walked out of my room to get coffee the next morning, and some dude dressed up as Jesus, down to the crown of thorns and (laughs) drippy blood, he too was getting a cup of coffee. We looked at each other and said, hey, my head hurt, and I was weirded out by meeting the J-man on my birthday, so I went back to my room and watched through the window. He sat down at a table, and old people began flocking to him. The table was full. They surrounded him. Still one of my weirdest moments of my life. It's <laughs> a wonderful story. Thanks for sharing that story, Carrie. I love our freak community. What you got for me? What, what you, what, what you, what you got for me? What, 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 what you got for me? I'm going to tell you about a Tunisian bishop. Well, we'll start a story. Okay. And it will start with a Tunisian bishop. All stories really should start with Tunisian bishops. I believe that that's accurate. Uh, It's the uh, 430s and Septimius Gaudiosis, along with several of his colleagues, were unceremoniously set adrift in a ship without oars into the Mediterranean. And this was 430, the year 430? 430-ish. 430-ish. Okay. Uh, by the Vandal King Genseric. So Genseric had just conquered Roman North Africa and demanded that everyone convert to Arian faith practiced by the Vandals. And the bishop had refused to do so. And so he uh, did not make friends with the Vandal King and was sent upon the sea orless. 
Cariosus made his way, though, to Naples, where he founded a monastery. He introduced the rule of Augustine to Italy. So when he died, which is between, like, 450 and 453, he was buried in the cemetery outside the city walls of Naples. And his place of burial soon began um, to garner attention. uh, Devotees would come and uh, do their devoteeing. And from that time onward, the uh, early Christian underground cemetery expanded and gen- uh, eventually became the catacombs of San Gorioso. The catacombs were extended following his burial. And uh, around the turn of the first millennium, the catacombs came to be decorated with some of the oldest surviving Christian art, uh, which are simple representations, things like grapes and fish, baskets with grapes and fish, and uh, images of the apostles. So the catacombs, I haven't done this one, have we? We haven't done this one, right? No, we haven't done this one. Jesus. (laughs) You need to chill out, girl. You need to chill out. (laughs) Just you were looking at me. You were looking at me and it made me nervous. Oh, my God. I'm I'm enraptured by the story that you're spinning. Okay. You are a story spinner. Thank you. You're a weaver of fables. Well, I guess this isn't a fable. This is real. But anyway, go ahead. So the catacombs of San Garioso are the second largest in Naples. This area also includes the earliest known depiction of the Virgin Mary in this region. Um, It was painted in a small chapel, which is now part of that underground complex, which is built alongside the tombs for pilgrims and worshipers. And it's Difficult to determine exactly the extent and number of chambers that were included in these catacombs um, due to the numerous transformations that were um, put in place. Uh, Certain entrances had been blocked. There was a a basilica built into the catacombs, uh, which blocked off part of the catacombs, opened up other parts. It was always in a in a state of change. Uh, there were, in fact, uh, landslides and cave-ins that made knowing the initial shape and size difficult. Yeah, that would that would certainly hinder one's ability to understand sure. how it looked initially. Thanks to though those uh, recurring problems uh, with the landslides and with theft, people people were big on stealing from the dead. Uh, The complex was shuttered by the end of the medieval age. Fast forward to the late 16th century. The Basilica of Santa Maria de Santilla was built adjacent to the site of those abandoned catacombs. And uh, part of that had actually been recently used as a farm cellar. (laughs) They're just storing their turnips down there? Yeah, well, you know, you got to have a nice, cool, dark place for them. Sure. Uh, Your tubers cannot be overheated. (laughs) The Dominican order that administrated the church excavated the tombs. And they were quickly reappropriated. So using that ancient catacomb complex, the monks perfected a mummification process that was highly desired by the wealthy elite of the 17th century Naples people. In the first step of the process, the corpse was placed into a hole carved into the tomb wall, and then holes were strategically carved into the body so that the fluids would slowly drain out into the surrounding earth, 
okay. over the course of the next year. All right. So they didn't actually remove any of the organs. Mm -mm. They just cut some drainage slits. Yep. Where did they make the incisions? Does it say? It just says strategically. Okay. Just, just put some holes in there. Sure. Just... I wonder if they use something like those little tree sap funnels that people nail into uh, maple trees here in New England. Probably a lot like something that. Something like that, yeah. yeah. I had a mole on the back of my leg that the doctor thought was a little iffy, and they wanted to take it out. Mm -hmm. And I was fine with that. No big deal. I can, ha you know, I'm not like super squeamish. Right. So I was like, fine. Uh, and then she was getting ready to do it, and she described to me the tool that she was using. Yeah. Which she said is kind of like the end of an eraser uh, on a pencil, but instead of having an eraser, it's just a it's just a hole, right? And it's made of razor sharp material that she would then jam into my body and then snip off that chunk. And uh, once she described it that way, mm -hmm. I was like nauseated, and oh. all I could think of was like this this hole being. Made into my, and it was literally just a hole that did, she j carved out of my leg. Did you think you were going to drain out? Um, oh, I thought I was going to drain out of my mouth. The blood drain out of your head. What did you do with the snipped off mole? She wouldn't let me have it. Why not? I don't know. You have a right? law. Oh, that's ridiculous. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that was that was gross. <laughs> this is the second time I've mentioned David Sedaris in two episodes. Um, in that interview that I saw with David Sedaris, mm -hmm. he talked about how he had a, a fatty tumor removed. Uh, he didn't need to have it removed, but he had it removed so he could feed it to a turtle. Right. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. That was, I mean, yeah. Sure. Huh. I love the way that my that man's brain works. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> so uh, your bits uh, drained out over the course of a year. And there's actually a well-known expletive that derives from this process, uh, which is... Is it fuck? No. <laughs> that hurts? No, it translates to may your life drain away or oh. die, bitch, basically. Really? Yeah. So the process took place in the, uh, sm the small cavities uh, that they put these bodies in uh, they were drainage holes basically <laughs> mm -hmm. and uh, they had these bowls that had special names that collected your your drainage really? and uh, once the process was complete the your bones were washed and finally laid to rest because you know over the course of a year you're you're decomposing sure, and you're sure. cleaned up nice right so the task is performed by a, a specific man uh, who who does this. His name is the Shiatmoroto. Now, he is the only one that can do this process. So he's the guy that empties the bowls? Uh, he's the one who does the whole shebang. That is like a he shitty, the holes. shitty job. Well, it's a, it's, a, it's a sacred job. Yeah, that's and what they told him. <laughs> Nobody, it, nobody really wanted to do that. I think it's a that. lot like the no, hangman. Hey, 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 Jerry, come here. Seriously, you're gonna love this job. It's it's a it's a position of honor, really. <laughs> Here's your little pokey thing in a in a cup. Go ahead. So, so finally, the preserved remains were displayed uh, along the walls of the catacombs. So, as I said, the body had been placed into this niche. Yeah. This body shaped niche, and then held in there while uh, the 
fluids drained mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So after that process was done, they would plaster over your body your body, your bones, except for your head. So your skull remains sticking out of the wall of the catacomb, and the rest of you is plastered over. Wow. In its place, the person is then depicted a la fresco. No. So they get an artist in there who paints your body uh, wearing the the clothes that you would like to be represented in mm-hmm. and your social status is represented by way of your you know your stance and your your accoutrement and um and then you've got this skull head. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which sounds amazing. (laughs) It really does. So the frescoes were painted by Giovanni Balducci, an artist who actually arranged that he would not be paid for these. He would be paid by way of having his body also included in this very high-end burial procedure. Okay. So the not surprising hygienic problems of just draining <laughs> mm. body insides into the earth surrounding uh, these catacomb niches uh, in this very damp, closed area eventually led to the Dominicans' abandonment of this practice yeah. by the end of the 17th century. <laughs> you cannot just soak the soil with blood and guts and innards and and think, yep, this is going to stay fresh. That's why that job was so prestigious. Right. Really, you're going to love it. Yeah. <laughs> it's You work on your own. You make your own hours. Mm-hmm. You know, um, nobody's there to bother you. You'll love it, Jerry. (laughs) Many remains were eventually transferred to nearby cemeteries. uh, And until recently, very few people knew about these catacombs um, in this neighborhood. But there was a local group of archaeologists and art historians who began excavating and giving tours of the complex in 2006. 2006, okay. So keep in mind some of this early Christian art is still there. It's wow. been buried and stashed away. And there's this uh, Byzantine fresco ma- depicting Madonna and child between two holy bishops that dates from the second half of the ninth century. Oh, my God. And it's just been waiting for people to see it. Hmm. And I mean, I suppose it's not been doing anything. It's just a painting. But, you know, in my mind, it's this amazing thing that's been tucked away. And uh, the baby Jesus in it looks like he's given the peace sign. Really? Oh, yeah. Okay. I think I've seen a picture of this. (laughs) Yeah. He's given the peace sign. Yeah. He also looks like he's 40 years old, but whatever. (laughs) Just a tiny, tiny 40-year-old given the peace sign. So all of the body fluids leaked out of the corpses mm-hmm. over the centuries apparently did no harm to these this uh, fine work of art. There are some pieces of art that remained uh, incredible. just fine. Incredible. It's incredible. So this restoration process has been going on for some time. Uh, they call it the Teniamo in vita il passato, uh, keep the past alive, uh, which adopted campaigns uh, urging people to donate uh, their time, you know, for the betterment of their community, which I think is really amazing. And I love the idea that people chip in to make their community better, right? Yeah. Anyway, the uh, <laughs> sacred cave was back, brought back to life uh, with this very intense restoration activity. And in the spring of 2017, 
Many of the altars and frescoes were beautifully restored, and you can visit them Mondays to Sundays from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Well, that's one more thing to put on the list then. This is something we have to go to. Mm. I have to see this. Yeah. This is amazing, and I have to see it. Well, I'm not going to stop you. Um, in fact, I'm all in. Yeah. Start making the arrangements. Let's go. <laughs> now, check this out for a segue. You could start making your arrangements to come to the Box of Oddities live shows. Wow. How well about that done. one? <laughs> you know it all. Get your tickets at our website, theboxofoddities.com. We would really love to see you. We've ordered our 2020 merch. It's super cute. Yeah, it's we're calling 20. Last year, our tour was the It's Alive show. This year, it's the What You Got For Me 2020 live tour. So we had special What You Got For Me shirts made that you can only get if you come to the show. Right. Yeah. Hopefully, we'll see you in D.C. on the 29th of uh, this month, January. It's a Wednesday. And then the 29th of February. And again, what a perfect day to do a show for the Box of Oddities on Leap Day. <laughs> um, that is a Saturday, our first Saturday show and our first theater show at the uh, Bijou Theater in Bridgeport, Connecticut. So excited. Hopefully we'll see you there. And hopefully we will see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. The box of oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. In one, two, three, four, five. Butts and thighs and uh, skin suits. Is that the name of your memoir? <laughs> Butts and thighs and skin suits? Mm. The Katrina Wall story.